my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show where we're always talking about the decentralized revolution the way that world is changing. Of course, you already know that. And we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. Got a lot to cover this week. We're going to run through some of the latest breaking news headlines so you can see the way the world is literally changing right before your very eyes. And it was a busy week. I want to talk about what the heck is going on in the global south with the BRICS, the rise of the BRICS, and their aim to reduce the US dollar's dominance. What does that mean? I want to talk about cars and big houses. What the heck is going on? They're becoming unbuyable. We've seen uh, cars and houses making huge moves. I want to talk about the biggest reform to the U.S. financial markets that we've seen in over a decade is coming and why. What are the dangers there? And what the heck is going on in the Bitcoin space? An unidentified wallet has just come onto the scene and is making massive, massive waves. We're going to cover all that, but let's just dive right in. I want to talk about what is going on with the BRICS. Of course, the BRICS are the Global South. BRICS stands for B-R-I-C-S, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. They are a collection of, of, of countries that have come together to trade between themselves. And what's interesting about them is that they are producing actual goods and services, meaning like commodities, things that come out of the ground, whether that be food or minerals or metals or energy and things like that. You know, the, the G7, which is the top seven countries in the world, which is dominated by, of course, the, the U.S. and, and um, Europe and Canada, et cetera, on contrast, provide little commodities of goods to the rest of the world. And what we've seen throughout, uh, you know, really the last 80 years or so is that the economic privilege that the West has had over the BRICS 
um, has really stemmed from their ability to control the money, control the currency. The dollar has been the leading global reserve currency since the Bretton Woods Agreement, which was in 1944. And through having the reserve currency and through controlling global trade in that currency, then the U.S. and, and Europe overall has massive power and influence over, over the, the BRICS. Economist Barry Eichengreen puts it, quote, it costs only a few cents for the Bureau of Engraving and Printing to produce a $100 bill. So the United States, the government, can create $100 for just a few pennies, about 16 cents, I think. But he says other countries have to pony up $100 of actual goods in order to get one. So the US creates a $100 bill for 16 cents, but in order for one of these nations in the South to get that $100 bill, they have to give them $100 worth of goods. Now, it might be said that that $100 of goods didn't cost them $100 but it certainly cost them more than 16 cents. So as the, as the US, res, uh, US dollar has a reserve currency status, it gets artificially stronger than it might other would have been because there's lots of demand for dollars, always demand for dollars. Now, we have these bricks, like I said, they're meeting um, right now this week. So we don't have the full development. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll start to hear what actually came out of this. But some of the big things is about... Um, what are they doing? There's been lots of talk about them creating their own currency, a gold-backed currency potentially. I've talked about it, on, I think, on my main YouTube channel, Mark Moss. I'm talking about how it's not really going to be a gold-backed currency, but more of like a gold-pegged currency, um, where really it might represent like a, a tenth of an ounce of gold or something like that, exchangeable for that. Um, it's a technical difference. Um, but according to South Africa's ambassador to the group, the BRICS summit isn't calling for de-dollarization. That's what he says, the BRICS summit specifically, but lots of members of the BRICS are calling for de-dollarization. And so we're watching for that. Now, we knew it started August 22nd, and a lot of people were thinking that they were going to announce this new currency at this meeting. They've come out and said they are not going to announce that. But again, we'll start to find out in the next coming weeks exactly what happened there. But what we do know is, like I said, while, while the uh, South Africa's ambassador says they're not calling for de-dollarization, we know that members of, of, of the BRICS are. Um, we know that uh, obviously Russia and China, the R and the C in BRICS, have been calling for de-dollarization and have been de-dollarizing de for about a decade now at this point. So we know that. We know the BRICS nations have established a new development bank based in Shanghai to rival the U.S.-dominated institutions like the IMF and the World Bank. Uh, we know that this, this new bank, this NDB bank, uh, hopes to lend in BRICS currencies like the South African Rand or the Indian Rupee. Uh, so we know that they're building this, they're, they're, they're looking to expand their influence there. Um, and we know that this de-dollarization plan has been well underway for over a decade, like I said, between Russia and China. They've said it specifically, and they're doing it. Now, Putin, you know, from Russia, he is addressing the BRICS summit remotely, which I think is pretty interesting, because when you look at this uh, rise of the BRICS, it's a coalition of nations, of countries. And to think that they can all work together um, to agree on one thing seems a little bit unrealistic when you look at the fact that Putin, head of Russia, arguably the second largest member of the BRICS uh, you know, group, can't even go to the summit. The reason why he can't go to the summit is because they're having it in South Africa, and South Africa might arrest him if he goes there.
So how well is that going to work when this, you know, the second largest member of the BRICS can't even go to the BRICS meeting or they'll arrest him? How well is that working out? So not, not too well. But Putin did address remotely, and he emphasized that de-dollarization is gaining momentum. He said the dollar's receding globally. Centra centrality is, an, is a, quote, objective and irreversible process, end quote. So it's his objective and it's irreversible. Once this starts going into place, it doesn't come back. I would probably agree with that. He claimed that the five BRICS members, Russia, China, India, Brazil, and South Africa, are becoming the new world economic leaders, adding that their cumulative share of global GDP has reached 26%. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember I said the G7, which is the leading countries in the world today, are about on par with the BRICS. BRICS has already surpassed the group of seven leading industrial, industrialized nations, accounting for 31% of global economy compared to only 30% for the G7. So that's what he's talking about. They're already exceeding. We've seen China's President Xi is urging uh, BRICS to become a geopolitical rival to the G7. Quote, China will push the BRICS block of emerging markets to become a full-scale rival to the G7 this week. <sighs> Cooperation versus coercion. There's two ways to get things in life. One is to work with somebody else to get it. The second way is to just go and steal it. And the thing that I just continue to see over and over in this is why is the world driven into this competitive, coerce, uh, coercive world as opposed to a cooperative world? So when we look at the this, President Xi is urging, urging the BRICS to become a geopolitical rival. Why? Why do they got to be a rival? We see that they're meeting about um, allowing new countries to come into the BRICS. So should we allow Saudi Arabia to come in or whatever countries they're, they're debating about? Why? why? Why wouldn't you just want them all? Like they're a trading block. Why wouldn't you just want to trade with as many nations as is possible? Why is it an argument? Some nations don't want them to come in. Some nations do. Well, we don't want them in because we're protectionists, right? We have to protect ourselves and we export these commodities. But if you bring these people in, they, they're, they're competition. They're going to export the same commodities. And so we can't have that protectionism. And so this is the state of the world, which is why I call this the decentralized revolution. The world is breaking apart. The days of global trade and cooperation have come to an end. And they're rapidly devolving into this, where President Xi is now urging them to become a geopolitical rival, not a partner, not a trading partner, not work in cooperation, not, hey, uh, if we work together, the sum of our parts is, is uh, equal, is greater than the, the whatever it is. Uh, together, we're stronger than we are separate. Um, no, he's not saying that we should work together. Um, what he's saying is we need to become a rival and we need to basically fight against you and put you back in your place. This is not a good trend, and it's one that I cover every single week, the decentralized revolution. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, of course, always talking about the decentralized revolution as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. I'm running through some of the latest breaking news headlines of this week, and it's, like I said, it's been a big, big week. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the biggest reform to U.S. financial markets in over a decade and what the heck is going on in the Bitcoin space, some big, big moves there. Don't go away. I'll be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. 
My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about always the decentralized revolution. We just talked about that in a segment before talking about what's going on with the BRICS conference this week. If you missed it, don't worry, go back, check it out on the podcast. Just search the Mark Moss show in your favorite podcast player or watch me on YouTube. Just search market disruptors on YouTube and you can watch me there and hit me up on social media. What's up, man? I want to hear from you. Hit me up on social media, Twitter, Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Um, Mark Moss at one Mark Moss. You can find me there. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, assuming that Elon Musk lets me back into my Twitter account. Uh, sad, sad news. Uh, learn from my mistakes. I got my Twitter account taken over by hackers. And even as a blue check paid subscriber, where I've had to submit my ID verification, I think my passport, all that, they still can't get me back into my account. Now, I don't know exactly what happened, uh, but what I do know is all of a sudden my inbox started just getting flooded with emails. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Where are all these emails coming from? And I start looking and each one was like, oh, thanks for subscribing, confirming your subscription, you know, all these things. And I was like, man, it looks like somebody got my email address and went and subscribed me to like a thousand newsletters, which is exactly what happened. So then I start thinking, why would that happen? What, 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 what's going on? They're probably going to do something like some sort of like purchases on my credit cards. And then all these emails spam as to like obscure these messages, I'm guessing. So I start kind of Googling it and that looks like exactly what this sort of scam is. And then what I, I tried to log into my Twitter account and I found out that I was logged out of my Twitter account. Now, I don't understand how this worked because as far as I know, they don't have access to my email. 
Gmail is my email provider. All of my emails have hard, unique passwords. So what I mean by that is there are 16 characters long and they have numbers, digits, special characters, all of that. Um, everyone's unique. So I don't know if they have access to my email or not, but the problem that has been created that I didn't fix, I should have known better. So let me tell you is in my Twitter account and other social media accounts have this as well. I didn't have the two factor authentication turned on. And so what they did is when they gained access to my Twitter account, which I still don't know how that happened, they turned the two FA on. And so I was able to go back and reset the password because it still syncs to my email. I changed my password on my email. I changed the password for my Twitter, but I still can't log in because I don't have the 2FA code. Should be a pretty simple fix, but Elon Musk and Twitter support don't seem to want to reply to this. So I send them emails almost every single day and I'm out. So anyway, if you send me emails on Twitter for now, message on Twitter, I may not get it. Anyway, sorry for that, but let that be a lesson to you. Turn 2FA on. Now, another tip, pro tip for your 2FA, that's two-factor two authentication. So on your phone, you can download an app like Google Authenticator, for example. Authy is another one. Um, you create that. And then when you turn two-factor authentication on, most of these platforms have them now. Your social media platforms have them. My email providers have them. Obviously, your cryptocurrency accounts have them as well. Uh, it's going to give you like a barcode uh, or a QR code, and you'll scan it with the app, and then it syncs it, and then it always going to produce this new code. A couple pro tips. One, the, the, two, the two FA uh, code that it gives you, you should back that up. Because if you back it up, if you create it on your phone, but then you lose your phone, then you can no longer get into your accounts. Now, if you have that 2FA code backed up, you can get a new phone and then you can just sync it up again. Okay, that's pro tip number one. Pro tip number two is don't use it on your main phone, specifically on your cryptocurrency accounts, your Bitcoin accounts. And the reason why is because what happens is a lot of times they do this swim, SIM swap where somebody will call into your mobile phone provider and they'll get them to transfer your SIM to their SIM. And then they'll use your phone to reset your passwords and get access to all your two-factor authentication. Then they can get into all your accounts. So I use these apps for my 2FA, but I use them on an old phone that I don't use anymore. It's been completely factory reset. You can go to Walmart and buy an old Android phone for 50 bucks and you can do that. And use that as your 2FA not your regular phone. Another pro tip is um, the email accounts I use with my cryptocurrency accounts are not the ones that I use for anything else. So even if you get my email, and even if you get my phone, you hack my email, you, fa you hack my phone, SIM swap my phone, you still won't get access to those accounts because I use them different emails and different phones. That being said, I think I'm so smart. <laughs> but it didn't help me with my Twitter account. So let that be a lesson to you. Hopefully that makes sense. Uh, jumping back into some of these uh, news headlines of the week. That was big news in my world, but uh, big news outside of my world is what the heck is going on in the economy. Just when it looked like a soft landing was evident and we were running strong in a bull market, we've been seeing some weakness in the market, specifically looking at the 10-year yield on the U.S. Treasuries. 
as I, I talked about on my main YouTube channel, kind of talking about how the bear market was over and how the bull market is back, because technically when the markets drop by 20%, you're in a bear market. When they go up by 20%, you're in a bull market. So technically we're in a bull market. And I talked about how uh, in bull markets, they're very volatile. And so they could go up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's sort of what we're seeing, massive, massive volatility. At the end of uh, these, these uh, bubble markets that we have, they just get more volatile. But what we've seen is that China and Japan are both selling treasuries to pay their debt and to prop up their currencies. China is in a very, very serious credit crisis. They need dollars really, really bad. So they're selling US treasuries. Now they've already been de-dollarized. And I talked about this in the segment before the break, how China and Russia have already been de-dollarized for a long time. So no one's buying the treasuries and now they're selling the treasuries. It's not a good place to be. It's a feedback loop that leads into a doom loop. China sells because of solvency issues. They cause rates to go up and prices to come down, making their assets, the U.S. Treasuries, uh, they hold worth less. So that means they have to sell more of them. When they sell more of them, the ones they hold sell less or are worth less again. So they have to sell more of them again. Uh, it's what we would call slippage if you were selling large positions in equity market. Um, so that's what's going on in the world. But we can see in other areas of the world, um, we have some talk of potentially the Fed, the Federal Reserve, changing their inflation targets. And this is pretty interesting, something to keep an eye on. I've been talking about for a while that I always thought this was going to happen. The 2% inflation target that the Fed has is an arbitrary number. It came out of nowhere, and it doesn't really mean anything. So why not just change it to 3% or 4% or 12% or whatever it is? Obviously, if you go too high, the people aren't going to be happy about it. They're going to revolt. But what we're starting to see is uh, Jason Furman, an, an economist from Harvard, wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal making the case that the Fed should change the inflation target to 3%. And what will probably happen is we'll start to see these, uh, uh, you know, academics, <laughs> the, the, the experts, start to write these thought pieces these op-eds, and they'll start to talk, seeding this information out there, why the Fed, why 2%, why it's an arbitrary number, why it means nothing, why it should be 3%. You know, uh, people think, you listening might think that the money supply has to expand, right? How can the economy grow if the money supply doesn't expand? And so um, we need a 2% inflation rate so the money can supply. Well, if 2% is good, why not 5 why not 50? If it's so good, how about 100? Let's just do 100, right? Again, these crazy thought experiments really help you figure out where things are going. My guess is, though, they seed this in, and then it finally comes to pass. We'll see that probably in the next election cycle, whether Trump or Biden win or neither of them, but we know both Trump and Biden don't want Powell to stay at the Federal Reserve. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about some of the latest breaking news headlines this week so you can understand what the heck is going on. I got a lot more to cover when I come back, including what the heck is going on in the financial markets and Bitcoin. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a 
a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Ma Show, talking about the latest breaking news headlines of this week that show us that we are still on the path of the decentralized revolution. We talked about the BRICS meeting that's going on, and if that doesn't tell you the decentralized revolution is happening, then I don't know what to tell you because like, that is just smacking you right in the face. President Xi is basically coming out and saying it directly to your face. He wants to rival the G7. They want to break their monopoly. Now, some other big news I saw this week that I thought was very interesting and something to pay attention to is that there is only one car on the market in the United States now that sells for less than $20,000 because inflation, right? Prices are just going up so fast that most people still just can't afford to keep up with things. And now we have only one car, uh, a Mitsubishi Mirage is the only one that you can get for less than $20,000. Just five years ago, there were dozens and dozens of new cars that sold for less than $20,000. And today, only one. Now, today's average new car loan has a monthly payment of $750. That's the average monthly payment with an interest rate of 9.5%. With used cars, the average rate is 13.7%. It's a big deal. So if you want to think about this, I always talk about how inflation steals your life. What do I mean by that? Well, I have to spend my life, my, my time working for money, right? Time is the only thing you can't get more of. So I have to expend my life, my life's energy, but more importantly, my, my life's time to get money. And so how much of my life, my time is required to get an asset? So what we can see is that according to Cox Automotive data in the Wall Street Journal, it now takes the average American 42 weeks of income to pay off a car. 42 weeks of income. So for the average American, it takes almost a year, 10 months of my life to get the average car. Now, that was only 33 weeks before 2020. So that's uh, almost 10 more weeks of my life is required to get the average car than it was just two and a half years ago. 10 more weeks of my life. That's two and a half months that I could spend on vacation. I could spend working on my health. I could start a new business. Now I have to give that life just to go get the car that I could have gotten before. That's what I'm talking about by stealing your life. Now, uh, bargains, trying to get anything under 20,000 has gotten very, very difficult. So one mistake that I see people making in the, in the housing market, but also in the car market, in the housing market is that because interest rates have gone up so high, Home prices have gotten too expensive, so they have to come back down. People can't afford that. They have to come down. And the answer is no, they don't. People will just buy less house. 
I wanted a three bedroom house. Now I can only buy a two bedroom house. I wanted to buy in this school district. Now I got to go buy in this school district. And so home prices don't have to come down. People just buy a smaller house and the same with cars. So instead of getting a brand new car, I just get a used car. Instead of getting a used car with low miles, I get a used car with high miles. That's what happens. People quality of life goes down. The average vehicle listed on used car lots was for $27,000, which is up 30% from pre-pandemic levels. And at the same time, we're seeing delinquency rates for auto loans at the highest level since 2006. So not only can people not afford it, but now we're seeing people lose cars at a faster rate than we saw in the great financial crash. Now, in regards to housing, we're seeing sort of the same thing. Housing is a little bit different because uh, loans are locked in for longer periods of time. The real estate market is an interesting beast, uh, something I talk about extensively. Um, I'm not going to dig into super deep here, but what we can see is that while rates have gone higher, a lot of the existing home sales were locked in at very low rates, 2%, 3% rates, and they don't want to sell and they're not being affected by this. So when you see the headlines, just remember that when you see the headlines of home interest rates are approaching 8% now, well, just know that that doesn't affect most people. It doesn't affect existing homes. It only affects new home buyers. But if no one's selling and no one's buying, then it doesn't really affect the price of the real estate. And other news on the economy, we saw, we, we are seeing potentially the biggest financial reform to the U.S. financial markets since the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, it's a big deal because these financial markets, specifically what we'd call the shadow banking markets, have gotten way too big and gotten way too powerful. And in my opinion, they work against the best interests of their customers. Now, when you have somebody's money, you have what's called a fiduciary duty. That means a legal duty to do your best for that. But we have these companies, the BlackRock, State Street, Vanguards, who are not doing that. So they're pushing DEI, they're pushing... Um, ESG mandates and investing on those guidelines into companies who are not profitable, like what happened with Budweiser. Because of their DEI and their ESG mandates, they made decisions that harmed the company. Now, if I'm a shareholder, the head of those companies have a fiduciary duty to me to increase the value of my shares. And they made decisions that crashed the value of those shares. And so they've gone against their legal, um, their legal uh, duties. However, these companies are so big, they don't have to really abide by any of that. And these sweeping regulations could potentially, maybe, to be honest, I don't have a lot of faith, but could potentially bring some of that back in line. These shadow banks, making them have transparency. Um, not only do they invest money from their uh, ultra wealthy clients, but they also throw massive amounts of leverage, borrowed capital into the mix, and they do it with most of your money. So it's your pension funds, it's your 401ks that they're using to invest into investments that they're sabotaging and working against your best interest. Now, private funds, these private funds are not nearly as regulated as these larger investment banks. And the SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, which is, of course, working for your safety, uh, they want to protect consumers. And I say that sarcastically because they don't. Uh, they should shut down in disgrace. But the SEC plans to meet Wednesday to vote on standards for shadow banks that were first proposed in February of 2022. 
And these shadow banks are basically financial institutions that don't have a traditional banking charter from a central bank. So if I want to open up a bank to compete against Wells Fargo, et cetera, I have to get a charter from the Federal Reserve. They have to approve me. And it's very restrictive and very stringent. But shadow banks are financial institutions that don't have to get that charter. They typically engage in lending and financial activities similar to those big banks. But again, they're not subject to the same regulations. They're not required to hold as much capital as traditional banks. They're not subject to the same liquidity requirements as, as central banks. So they can get way more risky. They can do way more things, potentially put you in way more danger. And so we can see this across all different types of markets. The problems with them is that because of their you know, lack of transparency, they're very difficult to regulate. Um, and they can really cause dramatic swings in financial markets. They can contribute to financial instability by engaging in risky lending practices. And of course, then if these consumers of these shadow banks call, get into danger, they're going to want the government to bail them out. Um, so they cause all kinds of financial instability, cause all kinds of financial shocks. They put all kinds of people in danger. Now, let me just, uh, let me just say this because I don't want you to take this out of context. I don't think we need the SEC to step in and do this. I think that I should be able to do what I want with my money. I think that if I want to go buy lottery tickets or go gamble it all on roulette in Vegas, I should be able to do that. But the problem is with great freedom comes great responsibility. And most people want the freedom, but they don't want the responsibility. So let me do what I want with my money. But if I put it into this risky gambling bank and they don't give me any transparency and they lose it, then I want the government to come settle that up for me. So you can't have both. If you want the freedom, you have to take the responsibility. Now, most people aren't responsible enough. They don't put the time in that's required to learn where they're putting their money. They spend all types of time and effort to make the money. They went to school, they got good grades, they got a good job, they've done all this extracurricular stuff to build their career forward to make this money, and then just give it to somebody else and they don't, they don't even pay any attention to what happens with their money after they've made it. And so the majority of people don't have the responsibility, and that's why they want the government to protect them from it. I think it's wrong. I think you should have your own responsibility for your own money. And if you, if you, if you can't be responsible for it, then put it in the bank, <laughs> not in one of these risky institutions. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about the latest breaking news headlines of the week as we talk through the decentralized revolution. I'm going to come back and talk about what the heck is going on in Bitcoin. You don't want to miss that. So don't go away. I'll be right back. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast 
is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, running through some of the latest breaking news headlines this week of the decentralized revolution. So you can see the play-by-play, and man... What the heck is going on with Bitcoin today? Of course, Bitcoin is the technology that's powering this decentralized revolution. And it's very volatile. We know that. The price goes up and down, and it swings very violently and very rapidly. Um, I don't talk about the price a lot because, to me, the price is one of the least interesting um, aspects of it. And the reason why I say that is because Bitcoin isn't just a new technology. It's a technological revolution, meaning it's going to change the entire world, the entire industries as we know it. It's much more than just one little asset. So I don't talk about the price a lot. However, you know, people do pay attention to the price. I I call it the great bait and switch. People come in for the price and then they stay for the freedom technology. But what we do know is that Bitcoin is still up 60% on the year. So if you would have bought in January, you're still up way on the money. However, just as of recently, it's fallen down. It's taken about a 10 to 12% tumble. It's back down to about $25,000, $26,000, which is a great opportunity for you to get in and buy on that. But that's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about was big news, and it's a little bit of a mystery. And the mystery is, is that an unidentified wallet has now become the third largest Bitcoin holder out of nowhere. Like, within like weeks. The wallet has accumulated 118,000 Bitcoins in only three months. Now, what we can see is that this new wallet address was first transferred Bitcoin. It was transferred 0.25, a quarter of a Bitcoin on March 8th of 2023. And then the next month, uh, or sorry, two months later in May, the wallet accumulated 64,000 Bitcoin. And then in June, another 54,000 Bitcoin. That's a lot. 118,000 Bitcoin. A total value of over $3 billion at the current Bitcoin exchange rate of 26,000. Now that's at today's price. Uh, That being said, it looks like they're in somewhat of a loss because they were buying when Bitcoin was, was higher. So they're actually down on their investment. But who the heck can buy $3 billion worth of Bitcoin? Now, Michael Saylor has accumulated about that much Bitcoin, but he's done it over years at different price points and through raising lots of money. Who can just break off $3 billion in the course of a couple of months? And so this is, of course, led to lots of speculation. Now, the Bitcoin blockchain is what's called um, anonymous, but not private. All right. What does that mean? It means that we can see these transactions because it's an open monetary network. So we can see that there's a wallet that's accumulated all this Bitcoin. It's, an- it's, it's anonymous. We don't, know, we don't know who that wallet is. There's no name or ID attached to that. It's not private. So private would be we couldn't see it at all. So it's not private. We can see it. It's just anonymous. We don't know who it is. All right. So again, this leads to lots of speculation. Some of the speculation as I search on my own through uh, online data to see if anybody can come up with some numbers, 
one uh, one version is that the funds collected in this wallet represent um, BlackRock. This one seems like probably the most likely case. I don't know. Potentially the most likely case that uh, large purchase of Bitcoins for um, for these Bitcoin occurred exactly one month before the company announced the Bitcoin ETF. So, of course, the big news is getting a spot Bitcoin BTF, ETF, uh, BlackRock being you know, the largest asset manager in the world. And so if they want to open up this ETF, they're going to have to acquire lots of Bitcoin. And so they want to do that at the best prices. And so they could potentially move the market. They could easily seed some news out there, get some sales going, you know, push the market price down a little bit so they could accumulate cheap. So that's one possible scenario. Again, we don't know. We don't know this because no one's come out and publicly said this, but it is fishy that they've made this announcement and they started buying before. Of course they would. They don't buy after because after they announced it, the price went up, right? So they bought it before they announced it. Another one that I saw suggested that maybe it's it's Robinhood. So um, someone on Twitter said that uh, the unknown address accumulated you know, $3 billion worth of Bitcoin um, belongs to Robinhood markets. Now, this is uh, from Arkham Intelligence said this. And again, we don't know. This is just speculation. But also, Robinhood is a big player. Potentially, they're doing it. In August, we saw Glassnode analysts estimated that about 90% of short-term Bitcoin holders were at a loss. And so, a lot of that means that the you know a scenario would be going forward is continued selling by these short-term Bitcoin holders whose holdings currently total $2.26 million. So, Markets are very efficient at moving capital from inpatient to the patient. So the short-term buyers and sellers are very impatient. They're the traders. They want to buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. They're very impatient. They're just trying to make alpha, uh, alpha right? Trying to make profit every day. The patient are the Black Rocks. The patient are the Michael, uh, Michael Saylors. The patient are the ones that will wait as Charlie Munger says, the big money is not made in the buy and selling. The big money is made in the waiting. The, the patient will wait for the right opportunity to, to pop up. And then they'll wait for it to turn into something else. So if we have uh, these short-term sellers, they think short-term. They don't think long-term. And they hold 2.26 million Bitcoin. Now, as the price of Bitcoin was coming down, as I told you, it's down about 10 to 12% in the last uh, week or so. As that came down, we saw a cascading effect of, of liquidations. So what happens, you have traders betting on the price of Bitcoin, whether it's going to go long or short. And as the price comes down, they start getting liquidated. Most of them are trading with leverage. So they get liquidated. And, and all of this Bitcoin becomes readily available. 2.26 million of it in the short-term sellers. So in this type of event where all this liquidity comes available, you have a buyer like potentially uh, Robinhood, potentially BlackRock, we don't know, come in and just scoop it up. 3.4, uh, I'm sorry, $3 billion worth, 118,000 Bitcoin. Now, what's important to understand about this is look through the news headlines to understand what is going on. There is a very smart, very sophisticated, very wealthy I'm assuming they're smart and sophisticated because they're so wealthy. If you have $3 billion, you probably know a couple things. They're buying right now. So if you are thinking, oh my gosh, should I sell Bitcoin right now? Is the price going to drop down even more? I would ask yourself, are you smarter, more connected, more sophisticated than someone who has access to $3 billion to just drop at the, a drop of that. Now, if you're able to drop $3 billion into Bitcoin, that must mean that you have 
20 billion or 50 billion, right? Like how much of your portfolio are you going to put into Bitcoin? So it's not like they put every penny they had. They put a fraction of what they have. So if they're able to just drop 3 billion, they're very sophisticated. They're very connected. So then you ask yourself, why are they buying? We call that the smart money. You and I, we're the dumb money. So if the smart money is buying right now at this price, who the heck is selling? And then a better question is, why would I want to sell? And the answer is, I, I ain't. I ain't. Now, uh, also, there's speculation that it was uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX selling their Bitcoin. We saw news about this, about 373 million. Uh, they, they had about 373 million in 2022. And uh, news kind of came out that they sold all of it. I haven't been able to back that up with any substantial information. Um, what we do know is that they did sell some of their Bitcoin it owned in 2022. So we do know that. Um, what it said, and it was a little bit cryptic what they put out, is that they were writing down the valuation of it. So does that mean that they sold it and they wrote, they wrote down their uh, portfolio? Or is it because it's gone down from the price they bought it at, so they've lost a lot of money and they're writing that valuation down? We don't really know. And so we don't want to move off of that. All right. Don't look and go, oh my gosh, uh, look at Elon Musk. He's the smartest guy in the world. He's selling his Bitcoin. I should sell too. Don't look at that because that's not actually what the data says. So uh, it's, it's a little bit unclear. They're marking it down. What does exactly that mean? Did they sell it all? We don't know. But what I'm more interested in is who the heck is buying $3 billion worth of Bitcoin. And more specifically, what does that mean for you and I? Let me know on social media. Hit me up. If you missed any of this, check it out on the podcast. Just search The Mark Moss Show on your favorite podcast player. And I would just ask one small favor, please, if you would just like and review this show on your favorite podcast player. That would mean the world to me. I appreciate that. Check me out on YouTube at Market Disruptors. If you want to watch me, listen to me at the same time. And that's what we got today. Thanks so much for listening. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.